Well, thank you very much for having me, and, and thank you so much for all that you guys do as, as Sarens uh, for supporting vocations uh, for all of us seminarians and, and everyone. Um, we really need you, so thank you. So I was born and raised um, a Catholic in a very loving Catholic family. I'm one of five children, and uh, the most influential character came around when my little sister was born in 97. And I say that because she was born with spina bifida, um, and as a result, she uh, ended up eventually was classified as moderately disabled, both mentally and physically. And I learned, without having any idea at the time, growing up with her, um, what I was learning, but I learned so much about the true nature of sacrificial love and the dignity of the human person. Um, and it just was natural to me. And I, I realized years later, looking back, that not everyone gets to, to have that experience growing up. And I vaguely remember um, one of my teachers, I think it was second grade, I remember her pulling me aside and was talking to me and said, you have an incredible capacity for compassion. And then she said, because of your sister. And I never forgot that. It stuck in my head. But unfortunately, I was uh, surrounded by wonderful influences, not just my family, uh, but I was very blessed to go to Catholic school uh, starting in first grade at All Saints and uh, was privileged to go to the Mount uh, for high school, um, an extended family, um, many good teachers, and anyway, wonderful influences. But as a teenager, uh, my priorities started getting a little skewed. And uh, unfortunately, I kind of slowly drifted off, um, started doing a few things that I shouldn't have. And while the devil never stood a chance to turn me directly against God, he did succeed in turning me against myself, if that makes any sense. Um, and I found myself um, shortly after high school really kind of falling away. Um, I was never angry at God. I never quit believing at God. But, but honestly, it was, I was turning in on myself and then suppressing um, some guilt and different things and just focusing on the wrong things, pursuing the wrong things as my main goals. Um, and then about a year or two after high school, I had been working uh, construction, mostly carpentry, and then I decided to chase some money in the oil field um, after getting to know a, a guy that had, was a little older than I was. And uh, he talked me into going out to southeast Oklahoma. And long story short, it was a terrible job. Uh, a terrible job. Even as far as the oil field goes, it was a terrible job. Uh, had no scheduled time off, literally none. And I ended up working literally six months from the day I started without a single day off. Um, including Sundays, and so that cemented my, my slide into not even going to church anymore. Um, and the work was my excuse. I had a, I had a new, new reason to just put it aside. Fast forward a number of years, and well, first of all, I, I ended up working the oil field about a year, um, and I was so sleep deprived that it's literally a miracle that I survived and I made it through or that I didn't kill someone driving and falling asleep, which I did multiple times, uh, falling asleep while driving. Um, one time in particular, you would think that that would have been my turning point. Uh, the one mercy I'll grant myself is that I was so sleep deprived I wasn't thinking straight. Uh, my capability of reasoning was, was severely diminished. But 
I fell asleep in the morning going to work, um, and I turned right at a stop sign at a little little town about 30 miles outside of McAllister, and then there's about maybe half a football field, and there's a bunch of trees, and the road, little two-lane highway, twists and turns through there, and then you're out in the middle of nowhere, open farmland, just this two-lane highway. Well, I fell asleep before I got to the woods, and then when I opened my eyes, I was way out in the middle of the pasture, you know, the farmland, on this two-lane highway, going perfectly straight, perfectly centered, in the wrong lane, doing 85 miles an hour, passing a red sedan. Literally already passing the red sedan when I opened my eyes. It wasn't me driving. Thankfully, the Lord had other plans. Um, so, unfortunately, that didn't turn my life around. Um, and over the years, I became more and more um, a stranger to myself, the easy way to put it. And I had gone back into carpentry and was a carpenter for years. And I had been dating a girl for quite some time and had some health issues coming out of the oil field, all that sleep deprivation, sleep apnea, and things like that, and really struggled to get to work on time and wake up for a while. Um, and I had a really good boss that was very kind to me. And I stayed with him longer than I should. He couldn't pay well because he was a great carpenter, but a terrible businessman. <laughs> uh, but I owed him. So I didn't even think about looking for another job for years. And so... Anyway, struggling to get on my feet, but my, my final goal um, that I was clinging to years later was to get financially stable, and I was finally starting to, and I was planning to get married to this girl. And the last year that we were together, um, we had started to drift apart, but I already kind of made up my mind, you know. And uh, so that's the last thing I was clinging to, um, stubbornly. You know, and forgetting everything else, all this lack of peace that I had in my heart, uh, which I had none. And when I was still, when I was quiet, that was bad. I had to be busy. I had to be distracted. Thankfully, at the same time that my girlfriend and I at the time were drifting apart, the Lord had started working on my heart without me really realizing it. And I think it, a big turning point in his working on my heart was actually Stanley Rother's beatification. Um, I honestly don't remember why I was there. Specifically, I don't remember if I just wanted to be, if I thought, you know, boy, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity or someone talked me into it. I honestly don't recall. But I will never forget sitting there and in particular when they unveiled an ordinary martyr they showed it up on the screen, and I was moved to tears, um, just kind of trying to hide it, but I was moved to tears, and I remember just this deep desire welled up within me, and I thought, I want that. I want that kind of meaning. I want that kind of life. It wasn't specifically tied to the priesthood in that, in that moment, but boy, I wanted that meaning. I wanted that, that sort of love that sort of life. And then about, I forget the exact timeline now off the top of my head, but uh, my girlfriend and I split. Uh, I believe it was very beginning of 2019. And like I said, that was the last thing I was clinging to. 
And that kind of sent me um, into a lot of honest, for the first time in years, self-reflection. And I didn't like much of anything that I saw. Um, and I really hit rock bottom. Um, and I will never forget, I was in my apartment, in my living room, and I hit my knees. And for the first time in my life, certainly as, a, as an adult, I asked God for whatever he wanted. No strings, just asked that he either let me know what it was or he make it happen. I told him that I was sick and tired of trying to control my life. I was doing a terrible job and I didn't want it anymore. I wanted whatever he wanted. And I hadn't been to confession in years. And I'm living proof what the church talks about with faith, being the gift of faith. Because I had, I had not been a practicing Catholic. I had not, I'd barely been praying at all um, for a number of years at this point. And yet, when I was finally able to look at myself, I knew exactly what I had to do. And I remember it as if I just found myself in the confessional not, not too long after that point of hitting my knees. And it was at St. Andrews um, in Moore. And... I was really nervous going in. You know, there's a lot of things I, I wasn't too, uh, too proud of, and it had been a while. But uh, it was a good confession. Um, he, was, he didn't sugarcoat anything, but he was also gentle uh, at the same time. And he gave me absolution, and then I walked to the door and I opened the door. And I took one step back into the sanctuary, and then my other foot crossed the threshold and suddenly, I was completely overcome um, with a couple of things. One was the sense of peace that was so profound that I could only imagine it would be like as if you could suddenly fly, as a way to describe it. Just completely weightless. And just in this incredible surging geyser of joy that just welled up from within me. And at the same time, I have this tangible sensation that starts at the top of my head and washes all the way over my body. And I realized later on, um, after time and prayer and reflecting back on it, I realized that was the same sanctuary in which I was baptized as an infant. And later uh, again in prayer, because when I, I remembered that, it hit me as something profound, but I wasn't sure what to make of it. And then later in prayer, um, it occurred to me that that was a tangible experience of the renewal of the graces of my baptism. We forget, we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And that just set me on fire. In that, in that moment, I had this, for the first time, true understanding of just how unfathomable God's love is for all of us. Obviously, it was tied to me, but in that, in that moment of intellectual understanding, it was immediate that it was for everyone. And I just wanted to tell everyone. I, I wanted to scream it from the rooftops. And I had gone from this rock bottom point in my life to just being on fire. And <laughs> I felt like a crazy person sometimes. Um, but that, from that day forward, I kept that same prayer going in you know, slightly different iterations every day. Uh, Lord, lead me, guide me, use me, whatever you want. Um, I had this surging energy. I had this peace now. 
Um, and a little bit later, I got an answer. Um, it started, I went to bed on a Saturday night, woke up Sunday morning at 3 a.m., which was very strange for me, very strange. Uh, especially used to, I would sleep like the dead. And I'm laying there very groggy, and suddenly I hear this voice, very subtle but very clear, and says, get on your knees. And I am confused. I'm groggy. I have no idea what to make of it. But I I'm vaguely remember, almost like a drunk person, whipping out of bed, just very disoriented. But I whipped out of bed. And I can't tell you if I prayed, but I did get on my knees. And then that voice changed to come to me. And I'm wondering what's going on. Am I dreaming? Am I going insane? Am I losing my mind? But I can't get that come to me out of my mind. And the only thing I can think of is Jesus saying, come to me. And I have no idea how to respond. And I'm very tired, very groggy. And I slowly end up back by the bed, and then I'm still kneeling, but then my upper torso is on the bed. I end up back in bed about an hour later. And finally, I, the one thought that I had as some way to respond was to go to the chapel. Um, it's not an adoration chapel at, at St. Andrew's, but I, I had the code to get in, and the tabernacle would be there, and Jesus would be there. So I finally made a decision that I would rather risk being insane and losing some sleep than risk it being the Lord and ignoring him. And so I got out of bed, got dressed, I went to the, the chapel, and I prayed. And nothing special happened, but I, I was there. And then a little bit later, uh, I had made plans to go to Mass with some friends. And then we went out to lunch, and we talked for so long that by the time I was heading back to my apartment, uh, at the time... Very unexpectedly, it pops into my head, if I just keep going to St. James, I can make it to 5 o'clock Mass. No idea why that would pop into my head. I do now. but And I decide to do it. And so I go to Mass the second time, which I wasn't accustomed to doing. And then <laughs> at communion, they played Here I Am, Lord, for the communion hymn. And... I always loved that song growing up, you know, at All Saints and stuff. I knew it by heart still after all those years, but it was the first time I had heard it in years. And so I'm walking up to communion, and we get to the part, here I am, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night. And it was like I got hit by a truck, and all of a sudden <laughs> I thought, that was you, Lord. <laughs> and I think it was right at that moment that I looked forward at Father Pruitt, and he was holding up the Eucharist. And I, I had this flash of, of me in his shoes. And suddenly I was, again, just this surging joy. And I was already joyful in that moment, but this, this totally overwhelming joy just rushed up. And I took it as the, the Lord was pointing me in the direction of the priesthood. But I, I didn't immediately respond. Somewhere along the same timeline, I had reached out to Sister Maria um, to talk to her about everything that had happened with my reconversion. And, and I just felt like I needed to talk to somebody. And 
Um, I remember telling her that I wished that I could take off a month from work and just go live at a monastery, just work and pray with the monks and discern. Well, she messages me the next morning and says, something occurred to me in prayer. I know you said you can't take a month off, but what about two weeks? And that was all she said. And anyway, she ended up inviting me to go on a pilgrimage to Guatemala. So thanks be to God, it all works out. I got a passport for the first time in my life in record time, and everything lined up. I had two weeks vacation I was able to take, um, and I, I managed to get on the plane and go. And then I'm in, we're in Guatemala City, and we're on a bus, uh, actually a large van, and we get a flat tire. Long story short, we're delayed, and we end up being out in the mountains which Father, Father Wolf was our, our pilot, and uh, he didn't want us to be out after dark. It's much better than it used to be, but he said it's still not the best idea to be out here after dark. So we were praying and talking and singing, and then finally, Sister Maria suggested that someone read uh, this short book about Blessed Stanley aloud. It was originally a series of talks given by uh, the now Bishop Taylor. And so I volunteered. I was sitting in the back. I've got a loud voice. I like to read. So I'm reading this, and at this point, I was very, very familiar with Blessed Stanley's story, but somehow, much like the Here I Am, Lord, um, it was like I was hearing it for the first time as I'm reading it aloud. And I find myself really being moved by the story. And in particular, he, once he described you know, Blessed Stanley growing up and, and everything, and talking about his ministry, as a priest before his martyrdom, he would give an example of how Blessed Stanley would lay down his life day in and day out. And then he would use this phrase, for that's what love required. And he'd give another example, for that's what love required. And I just really found myself being stirred by that, something in my heart. And, and then I get to the part where it describes how he dies, and I get a little choked up. But then what really takes me by surprise was towards the end of his last talk, I think it was. He mentions that at Blessed Stanley's ordination, on his ordination card, there was a quote. For my own sake, I am a Christian. For the sake of others, I am a priest. And I found out later that's from St. Augustine. Well, you know how when you're reading aloud, you scan ahead. I made it exactly to Christian. For my own sake, I am a Christian, reading aloud. And I scanned ahead. For the sake of others, I am a priest. And I was so overcome with emotion, I was rendered completely incapable of speaking. And at the time, I, I couldn't decipher it. It was a kind of a mix of emotions. But I, what I realized later on is it was wonder, inspiration, and the key thing that made it so hard for me to recognize was desire. Everything that had happened to me up to this point in my whole reconversion, in, in God pointing me in the direction, in all these wonderful graces that were happening in my life, it was all of them, it was the sense of it coming to me, over me, on me. But this was something that was very much like the Lord reached in and unlocked that which he had already placed in my heart. And... It was the next morning, still struggling to decipher what it was, that I was talking to Sister Maria and I made the decision to call Father Bittner when we got back to the States. 
Um, and it's, <laughs> it's been a wonderful, crazy ride ever since. I am uh, on the pastoral year here uh, at the cathedral, and I will be going, um, God willing, back to Pope St. John for Theology One in the fall. And uh, I still can't believe it. <laughs> it's, it's very believable the way you presented it. It's like you might still be working through it, but it was very. I believe. I believe that's how it happened. Yeah. I wish we were always attuned to how the spirit is maybe trying to move us. I wasn't for are. a very, very, very long time. I became an expert of how not to be. <laughs> it was the Lord that showed me otherwise. That, that quote from St. Augustine's Confessions that you've probably all heard that I, I may miss it slightly, but I found that the Lord was closer to me than I was to myself. I very much related to that when I read the confessions. Very much related to that. I, I had become a stranger to myself over the years, very much. How did your family react to you saying, I want to be a priest? Because they, they must have known that you had, they were, uh, had, had left the, the train, had left the Yes. My mother, God bless her soul, she... If I make it to priesthood, if I make it to heaven, I guarantee you it's largely on account of my mother's prayers and tears and her asking for others' prayers and tears. Uh, I know Father John Herrera. My mom asked him years ago while he was still in seminary to pray for me. Uh, we were friends in, in high school at St. Joseph's in Norman. Um, my mom was over the moon. And my dad was, was also very happy and all my siblings were incredibly supportive and I found myself <laughs> time and time again shocked by people's reactions um, both people I knew growing up uh, to the people I was working with at the last uh, job I had I had quit working on houses and I was building custom furniture for a company called Urban Farmhouse and uh, we had characters of all sorts working at Urban Farmhouse and not a single one had a negative reaction in any kind of way when they found out. Um, and pretty much all of them, in fact, had a very positive reaction. Guys that you would never expect saying, I, I really respect that. I, I think that's really, really cool. To one guy who was really quiet, you know, not very sociable, I could just tell he was trying to make a connection one day when I was in the break room and he walks in and all of a sudden out of the blue he asked me, have you ever seen this pastor so-and-so on, on TV and kind of awkwardly trailed off and he was just trying to make a connection. Yeah. Yeah. And to the CEO who <laughs> told me he was falling away, but he started telling me stories of how he had an aunt who was a nun and how he hoped to hear me preach one day. Wow. And the only thing that had changed was that they heard that I had had a change and that I had 
this idea of pursuing this call. That was the only thing. And suddenly, the, the whole nature of my relationship with all of them changed. To back to school night for St. James, I started teaching there part-time while I was applying for seminary. And I run into uh, an old friend from high school. We were in band together. She was a year ahead of me. Um, and uh, I told her, we got to talking, and I told her that I was going to be applying to seminary. And she goes, we all knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> to my Protestant grandmother, who I had gotten accustomed to uh, taking her out to lunch as often as I could uh, there for a little while after my, my reconversion, before I went off to seminary. And I explained one day sort of a little bit about my reconversion and told her, uh, what I was pursuing, and I wasn't sure how she was going to react. Uh, with that part of the family, we never really talked much about religion, so I wasn't really sure exactly how she was going to react. And I know some people that are members of her church don't look too fondly on Catholics. She got so excited and says something about how ever since you were a little kid, I always thought that she had to search for the word because she's not used to it. I always thought you would be a priest. And my jaw was probably on the floor. If only I had known. <laughs> if only I had known. <laughs>